Chapter Thirty Four of Marshall Leacock, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Om One Two Three. Marshall Leacock by Emil Gabriel, Part Two, Chapter Thirty Four. That Marshall de Segmu was to marry Mademoiselle Vance de Cactignou did not surprise the inevitance of Montaignac in the least. But spreading such a report, Utlachino's execution fresh in the minds of everyone, could not fail to bring odium upon these men who had held absolute power, and who had exercised it so mercilessly. Heaven knows that Marshal du Cactugno and the Duc de Sagmo were now doing their best to make the people of Montaignac forget the atrocious cruelty of which they had been guilty during their dictatorship. Of the hundred or more who were confined in the citadel, only eighteen or twenty were tried, and they received only some very slight punishment. The others were released. Major Kagini, the leader of the conspirators in Montaignac, who had expected to lose his head, heard himself with astonishment, sentenced to two years' imprisonment. But there are crimes which nothing can efface or extenuate. Public opinion attributed this sudden clemency on the part of the Duke and the Marquis to fear. People excreted them for their cruelty, and despised them for their apparent cowardice. They were ignorant of this, however, and hastened forward the preparations for the nuptials of their children, without suspecting that the marriage was considered a shameless defiance of public sentiment on their part. The 17th of April was the day which had been appointed for the bridal, and the wedding feast was to be held at the Chateau de Sagmeux, which, at a great expense, had been transformed into a fairy palace for the occasion. It was in the church of the little village of Sagmu, on the loveliest of spring days, that this marriage ceremony was performed by the cure who had taken the place of poor Abimedon. At the close of the address to the newly wedded pair, the priest uttered these words, which he believed prophetic. You will be, you must be happy. Who would not have believed as it did? Where could two young people be found more richly dowered with all the attributes likely to produce happiness, that is, youth, rank, health, and riches? But though an intense joy sparkled in the eyes of the new Marquise de Sagmo, there were those among the guests who observed the bridegroom's preoccupation. One might have supposed that he was making an effort to drive away some gloomy thought. At the moment when his young wife hung upon his arm, proud and radiant, a vision of Maggie Anne rose before him, more lifelike, more potent than ever. What had become of her that she had not been seen at the time of her father's execution? Courageous as he knew her to be, if she had made no attempt to see her father, it must have been because she was ignorant of his approaching doom. Ah, if she had but loved him! Marshal thought what happiness would have been his, but now he was bound for life to Omen, whom he did not love. At dinner, however, he succeeded in shaking off the sadness that oppressed him, and when the guests rose to repair to the drawing-rooms, he had almost forgotten his dark forebodings. 
he was rising in his turn when a servant approached him with a mysterious air. Someone desires to see the Marquis, whispered the valet. Who? A young peasant who will not give his name. On one's wedding day, one must grant an audience to everybody, said Martial, and gay and smiling, he descended the staircase. In the vestibule, lined with rare and fragrant plants, stood a young man. He was very pale, and his eyes glittered with feverish brilliancy. On recognizing him, Martial could not restrain an exclamation of surprise. John Lashiner, he exclaimed, imprudent man. The young man stepped forward. You believed that you were rid of me, he said bitterly. Instead, I returned from afar. You can have your people arrest me if you choose. Marshall's face crimsoned at the insult, but he retained his composure. What do you desire? he asked coldly. John drew from his pocket a folded letter. I am to give you this on behalf of Maurice de Escoquel. With an eager hand, Marshall broke the seal. He glanced over the letter, turned as pale as death, staggered, and said only one word, infamous. What must I say to Morris? insisted John. What do you intend to do? With a terrible effort, Marshall had conquered his weakness. He seemed to deliberate for ten seconds, then seizing John's arm, he dragged him up the staircase, saying, Come, you shall see. Marshall's countenance had changed so much during the three minutes he had been absent that there was an exclamation of terror when he reappeared, holding an open letter in one hand and leading with the other a young peasant whom no one recognized. Where is my father? he demanded in a husky voice. Where is the Marquis de Cartagneau? The Duke and the Marquis were with Madame Blanche in the little salon at the end of the main hall. Marshal hastened there, followed by a crowd of wandering guests, who, foreseeing a stormy scene, were determined not to lose a syllable. He walked directly to Marshal du Cartagneau, who was standing by the fireplace, and handed him the letter. Read, said he in a terrible voice. Marshal de Cartagneau obeyed. He became livid. The paper trembled in his hands, his eyes fell, and he was obliged to lean against a marble mantel for support. I do not understand, he stammered. No, I do not understand. The Duke and Madame Blanche both sprang forward. What is it? they asked in a breath. What has happened? With a rapid movement, Marshal tore the paper from the hands of Marquis de Cartagneau and addressing his father. Listen to this letter, he said imperiously. Three hundred people were assembled there, but the silence was so profound that the voice of the young Marquis penetrated to the farthest extremity of the hall as he read. Monsieur le Marquis, in exchange for a dozen lines that threatened you with ruin, you promised us, upon the honour of your name, the life of Baron d'Escoquevel. You did indeed bring the ropes by which he was to make his escape, but they had been previously cut, and my father was precipitated to the rocks below. You have forfeited your honour, monsieur. You have spoiled your name with ineffaceable opprobrium. While so much as a drop of blood remains in my veins, I will leave no means untried to punish you for your cowardice and vile treason. By killing me, you would, it is true, 
escape the chastisement I am reserving for you. Consent to fight with me. Shall I await you tomorrow on the ridge? At what hour? With what weapons? If you are the vilest of men, you can appoint a rendezvous, and then send your gandamus to arrest me. That would be an act worthy of you. Maurice Tiescogvel The Duke was in despair. He saw the secret of the Baron's flight made public, his political prospects ruined. Hush, he said hurriedly, in a low voice. Hush, wretched man, he will ruin us. But Marshall seemed not even to hear him when he had finished his reading. Now what do you think? He demanded, looking the Marquis de Cagdegnaux full in the face. I am still unable to comprehend, said the old nobleman coldly. Marshall lifted his hand. Everyone believed that he was about to strike the man who had been his father-in-law only a few hours. Very well, I comprehend, he exclaimed. I know now who that officer was who entered the room in which I had deposited the robes, and I know what took him there. He crumbled the letter between his hands and threw it in Moshu de Cogdugnu's face, saying, Here is your reward, coward. Overwhelmed by this denouement, the Marquis sank into an armchair, and Marshall, still holding John Lachiner by the arm, was leaving the room when his young wife, wild to despair, tried to detain him. You shall not go, she exclaimed, intensely exasperated. You shall not. Where are you going? To rejoin the sister of the man whom I now recognize. Beside himself, Marshall pushed his wife roughly aside. Wretch, said he, how dare you insult the noblest and purest of women? Ah, well, yes. I am going to find Maggie M. Farewell. And he passed on. End of chapter 34